1: No one's going to understand what makes St. Louis unique. And I I just see this love fest coming between St. Louis and him and him and St. Louis. Um, When he's going to be told by the Cardinals and then what actually happens, if, if there's anything divergent about those two things, it's just going to be because it's better than what he was told.
0: That was the one and only Jason Stark, one of the best baseball writers in the country, when he joined us about a month before the regular season began. And Jason Stark of the Athletic joins us now via the Brownie and Croup and Celebrity Line. Jason, first of all, thank you as always for joining us here on the show. How do you think that the match has uh, has lived up to expectations thus far between Nolan Arenado and the St. Louis Cardinals?
1: Uh, I think it's pretty much as advertised, right? Um, like, it's early. Nolan hasn't even done a fraction of the stuff that he's going to do that makes him so much fun to watch. But, like, he, he wasn't walking up to home plate uh, in in Denver and just getting standing ovations just because he exists. <laughs> you, know, like, uh, he, 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 you know, he's going to really respond to this. I don't think there's any doubt about it, and he's still one of my – all-time favorite players to watch.
2: Well, one thing he already did, Jason, is be in the middle of a, of a bench-clearing situation <laughs> and what his second game of the season and looked like he was ready to take on the entire Cincinnati Reds team.
1: <laughs>
2: Baseball. <laughs> it's a good way to fit
1: in, right? I don't, I don't think he's getting any against the Reds, but... Uh... The Cardinals and the Reds, there's always
2: something, right? Well, Yachty just brings everyone into the fight, yeah. don't they? Well, Jason, I, I, <laughs> Jason, I'm curious, though. Big picture from what you've seen, what, 17 games into the season, with Nolan a part of this Cardinals roster, what have you seen different, similar, new, refreshing, whatever it may be? What have you seen about this Cardinals team? I mean, you talk talking about uh, the Cardinals in general, right? Yeah. I, I, you know, I, wouldn't everybody have
1: thought that – the uh, pitching would have been better than this, and the offense wouldn't have been as good as this. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, baseball in April can get all mixed up. Um, you know, the, the, the Cardinals leading the league in homers is not a thing I would have predicted.
0: I'll see there, Jason.
1: <laughs> I, 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 you know, I, I don't know. I, this is what I love the most about baseball: is it is the least predictable game ever invented, and stuff will even out. But it's it's fun to just try to figure out what's real and what's not right now.
0: It's really interesting because I look around the division and you've got the Brewers whose pitching has been unbelievable so far this season, but they're hitting 210 as a team. The Cubs pitching has been fine, but they're hitting 190 as a team. And so as I look around the division, it almost makes me feel a little bit better about the Cardinals in some ways because all of this almost feels like it's unsustainable.
1: The entire division. Well, the Pirates—they're sustainable. Oh, yeah, that's, fair. <laughs> that's fair. But you know, I—I I, I do really like the Brewers. Um, I mean, if they're going to pitch like this, I, I don't know that that's doable. But if they're going to pitch like this, uh, you, you have to think at some point they'll get something out of Christian Yelich, you know, and. Uh, that That's a dangerous team. Uh, the Reds aren't going to score 10 runs every home game all year. I'm pretty sure that's not sustainable. Um, I, I think this division is not that different than we envisioned it going into the season. It It's not going to take 95 wins to win this thing. So to be around 500 like the Cardinals have been, I don't think that's a bad place to be at all. No,
2: I don't disagree with you at all, Jason. You know the, the part when you look at the Cardinals, who's been a surprise this season. I mean, we all knew what Nolan Arenado was going to bring. The same with Paul Goldschmidt. I'd argue Yadier Molina is a little bit surprising, but Tommy Edmond, Jason, I'm curious your thoughts because this is a guy who you know a lot of people weren't happy that the Cardinals moved on from Colton Wong, but he is profiled as a perfect leadoff man for this team, and now he's been like a super utility player.
1: Yeah, he's a fun player. You know, um, and he's been incredibly productive. The at bats have been great. You know, they were in Philly over the weekend, so I had a chance to watch him quite a bit. And just the quality of the at bats, added with the the versatility, um, he he's got a chance to be a super valuable part of this. Don't you think?
0: I do, and Jason, we talked about it a little bit yesterday and we kind of made the comp. I I don't know that he can be this, but the role at least that he's playing thus far is kind of what Ben Zobrist was for the Rays early on in his tenure when he hit his prime kind of like 09 to 2014 range. Can Tommy Edmond be maybe 80% of that for the Cardinals in your mind?
1: 80% of vintage Ben Zobrist? Yeah. That would that would work. <laughs> um, you know, ben, like Ben Zobers was really a uh, – I mean, he wasn't just a two-position guy. He, you know, you could put him at four or five positions, and he could play all of them at a high level and produce at all of them. Um, if if Tommy Edmund can be uh, just a fraction of that and just play two positions at a high level and produce – you know, that's kind of the way teams are built right now, that when you find players like that who are like having, <laughs> or it's almost like they clone themselves, you know, and one guy actually profiles as multiple guys um, because of the way they can fit on a given day. Um, with, with long bullpens and short benches, those are the most valuable players in today's game.
2: Jason, with that being said, what does a guy like Tommy Edmond do to a lineup that the Cardinals have if he's one of the top leadoff men in Major League Baseball? I mean, a lot of people talk about Dylan Carlson, Paul DeYoung starting to heat up. We've already mentioned Arenado and Goldschmidt. Uh, what does this lineup look like if if Tommy Edmond is the Tommy Edmond we've seen in the first 17 games of the season?
1: Well, I mean, it it really does cause you to reevaluate everything because... Um, if you're going to have guys on base when no one comes up, and Paul Goldschmidt comes up, and hey Yachty, the way he's swinging it now, um, this is going to be a way better offense than we would have envisioned.
0: We're talking to Jason Stark, senior baseball writer for the Athletic. He's joining us here on 101 ESPN. Jason, I mentioned Corbin Burns, and I mean the start to the season that he has had he has had is is literally historic. Forty strikeouts so far this year. He has yet to walk a batter, and that's now the record for the most strikeouts to start a season without a walk by a starting pitcher. Uh basically the last time that we saw anything like this was Adam Wainwright back in two thousand and thirteen. Jason, did you see this kind of a start coming from Corbin Burns? Did people around the league see him as being this caliber of a pitcher?
1: Uh, you know, I was a Cy Young voter last year in the National League and I, you know, I thought long and hard about where to place him because he did show some of this last year. Uh not quite this. He didn't he didn't pitch enough to qualify for the ERA title, so he was really hard to rank, but he was awesome um in the in the sample size that we had, and he's even better this year. Um, I mean, first of all, 40 strikeouts and no walks. Uh, we haven't... Like, no pitcher has done that over any span of four starts since 1900. No pitcher. I love Jack Flaherty, but his last 40 strikeouts have come with 18 walks. Think about 40 and zero. That's basically Kurt Schilling. So that, that's incredible, but... Like Watch it. Um, he already had kind of a Mariano-esque cutter, but now it's 96 to 98 miles an hour. Yeah, left-handed hitters have no shot at that thing. Now, uh, he's, he's ditched the four-seamer. Uh, he's got that two-seamer now at, at 98, 99 that is moving in the exact opposite direction as the cutter, only out of the same tunnel. Uh, it's, you know, he's really refined that curveball. That's an unhittable pitch. The changeup, he's, he's starting to show that, and that's a really difficult pitch uh, at 90. And he's filling up the strike zone because he knows he's unhittable in the zone. So he has no fear of challenging with any pitch. And that's how you get to 40 strikeouts and no walks.
2: Well, that leads us to the conversation that I think a lot of people are having about baseball right now. Jason, And I'm curious where you fall on this. We've heard people discuss moving the pitching mound back to, I guess, uh, alter the game a little bit away from what Corbin Burns is doing. What are your thoughts on that?
1: You know, people talk about the three true outcomes. Is really the one true outcome <laughs> that's devouring baseball, and that's the strikeout rate. You know, we're now at a 25% strikeout rate. One out of every four plate appearances is hitting in a strikeout. The pitchers are just too good. Um, they throw harder than pitchers have ever thrown at any point in history. Uh, and they have more information than pitchers have, any, have had at any point in history. And there are literally at-bats where the greatest hitters on earth have no chance. And so the reason to think about moving back the mound is, is that the game you (laughs) want? I don't think it is. You know, we have tremendous athletes and tremendous hitters who have no chance against these pitchers. And it's worth examining the question, how can you possibly counteract the effects of velocity? And I don't know any good answer to that, except experimenting with moving the mound back slightly. You know, two years ago, the Atlantic League was going to move it back two feet. That felt like too much, at least, at least as a first step. And pitchers were saying, no, I'm not signing with your league. So they never did it. But a foot is a distance that we've actually had studied, you know, because Dr. James Andrews, American Sports Medicine Institute, did a study of this with 26 college pitchers, and they didn't see any injury risk. So it's worth seeing what happens in the Atlantic League. I don't know if it's but I think baseball has to look at alternatives. Or is the strikeout rate going to get to 30%, 40%? Like, then you don't have a
0: sport. Jason, I think it's really interesting what the Atlantic League is doing, not just with that, with the possibility of moving back the mound a foot, but also they're doing the double hook DH rule. They're trying out expanded bases like they're they're trying basically everything to see what we can do to make this sport more entertaining, more watchable for the fans. I know one thing that I love about your writing is that you talk to people within the game to find out what their opinions are on all of these different things. And from your experience talking with those people, Jason, both in and around the sport, how open are they to some of these ideas?
1: (laughs) Uh, It depends who you're talking about. But look, I have to talk about the double hook because there are, believe it or not, there are people in the sport who refer to this as the Jason Stark rule. (laughs) I, I did not invent the well, I did not invent the rule uh it's been kicked around for a few years, but I probably have done more to publicize it than anybody and I did name it the double hook was my name. I thought of it in the middle of the night one night uh, as I was writing a piece about this it was and it's so bizarre that somebody is actually listening to me. I'm not used to that. Uh, it never happened to me in my life, including in my house <laughs> so um I've really enjoyed writing about this and talking about this rule, and you know, one of the biggest fans of it, don't you, is Adam Wainwright? He loves this thing. The only thing he doesn't love about it is that the starting pitcher would never get to hit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's a that is a uh, he does subtract points for that. Mm-hmm. But if you know, if we're gonna look for something that can incentivize the starting pitcher staying in the game longer. And by doing that, incentivize teams to just look at starting pitching in general differently. Then this might be it because you need to construct your roster differently. You're going to manage the game differently. It makes decision-making totally different because the, when the starting pitcher leaves the game, the DH leaves the game. Um, it's a really interesting rule the more you think about it. But like with everything in baseball and the world now, people are so divided about this rule and every rule change. But you have to try stuff, or how will you ever know? That, that's kind of the way I look at it.
0: Jason Stark, you can find his work over on The Athletic. I was reading his piece this morning on can the Blue Jays be baseball's next behemoth. It's really good stuff. And the way that baseball is is changing right now with all of these, I guess I'll call them super teams. It's interesting to see if uh, the Blue Jays could be the next one. Jason, we always appreciate the time, man. Thank you so much for joining us today. All the best, and we'll talk with you again soon.
1: Enjoy it, guys. Thanks so much.